sermon I needed. Well, today we're going to drill into the life of the Old Testament character of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a great reformer. Have you ever been in a situation when you realized reform was needed? A change was needed? Maybe a change in your own life? Maybe a change in your community? A change in your church family? A change in uh, maybe your own family? A change in generational patterns? Have you ever been in a spot where you realized change was needed? Well, if so, then you can relate to the life of Hezekiah. Now, change is never easy. Change is a difficult thing. Uh, there's this great old expression, I think it was John Wooden who said it, that uh, uh, not all change is growth, but you cannot have growth without change. Not all change is growth, but you cannot have growth without change. The hard thing is, though, the longer we're in a dysfunctional situation, the harder it can be to feel like we can change it, or that it even needs to change in the first place. And Hezekiah is in one of those situations. Hezekiah is in a situation where change has been needed for a really long time. And he was the one who stepped up by God's grace and with God's help, brought about a much needed change. Hollins read earlier the passage about him in 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 to 7. I'm very glad I was not selected to read the scripture today. There are a lot of crazy names in those verses. Hollins did excellently. She pronounced all of them correctly. The passage began this way. 2 Kings 18, verse 1. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old. So a little bit of backstory of where we are in the Bible. This is after the life of King David, who we preached about early on in 2020, which seems like years ago, but it was a few months ago. We preached about King David. King David had a son, Solomon. Solomon built a temple so that all of God's people could gather together and worship God. But after King Solomon, God's people split into two nations, the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah. And both of these nations struggled to follow God, and they struggled to follow God's ways. And they had king after king after king after king who led them further down the path of destruction. And so God sends a wake-up call to the people in the nation of Israel. They are overtaken by the Assyrian Empire. This is a scary moment for everybody in Judah. It's sort of like a wake-up call that we need to go in a new direction or we could get the Assyria treatment as well. Have you ever had one of those sort of wake-up call moments where you realize you are headed down a path that leads to destruction and you need to go a different way? Well, that's what the people in Judah realized, and Hezekiah, their king, capitalized on this. He's 25 years old, and he seizes on this desire to turn things around. He is a great reformer, and boy, did stuff need to be reformed. The temple, the temple that had been built so that people could come together and worship God, the temple had been closed. The doors had been nailed shut. The priests had all had to quit and go get a job like at the Taco Bell. I mean, kindred. They'd all got jobs at kindred. I make random allusions to Taco Bell in my sermons. Okay, got it, yeah. Uh, but now I've started to change this over to kindred allusions to try to get gift cards to kindred instead of Taco Bell. So, so the temple has been nailed shut. The priests are working at the Taco Bell. God's people are still worshiping God with a capital G, but they're also worshiping a lot of gods with little g's as well. 
In fact, Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, he was the king before Hezekiah, he had actually sacrificed one of his children to a pagan god. So that's kind of how bad this thing had gotten. God's people have been neglecting God for hundreds of years, and at this point it really shows. But when you've been doing something crazy for hundreds of years, it can be hard to realize there's a need for change. 2 Kings 18.5 is the hope, though. It says this, that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. So in this defining moment, God raises up a needed person. God raises up someone who trusted God above everything else. What I love about Hezekiah is that he's not noted for his leadership skills. He's not noted for his knowledge. He's not noted for his brilliance. He's noted for trusting in the Lord. He is noted for trusting that God's way is always the best way. Because the truth is, you and I may not have great leadership skills or great brilliance or great knowledge, but that's not why the scripture commends Hezekiah. Hezekiah is commended for trusting in the Lord. He used his trust of God, his love of God, as the lens through which he understood his world, as the lens through which he evaluated his world. And when he evaluated his world through the lens of trusting God and loving God and loving God's ways, he saw a change was needed. So in verse 4, we learn that he removed the high places, he smashed the sacred stones, he cut down the Asherah poles, he broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. So Hezekiah comes in. He's a 25 years old. He's seeing the world through the lens of loving and trusting God. He's looking at what's going on around him and saying, some change is needed, and he moves swiftly. He opens back up the temple. He tells all the priests to quit working at Taco Bell and get back to the temple. And then he says, I'm closing down the high places. Now you may say, what does that mean? What are the, what are the high places? The high places were small shrines where you could go and worship God, but you could also go and worship a bunch of other gods there as well. So the high places did a couple things. They let people worship God with a capital G, but often in isolation. And in that isolation, people began to worship all kinds of other gods with little g's. Ahaz, remember Hezekiah's dad, the, the king before us, Hezekiah, Ahaz frequented the high places. In all likelihood, Hezekiah grew up going to the high places. That's all he knew. And then he came to realize that's not what God wanted. That God wanted his people together. God wanted his people worshiping him. Not him and a whole bunch of other gods. Him. That God is the God who makes us fully alive. God is not one who asks us to sacrifice our children. And so... Even though the high places were all Hezekiah had known, he closed them down. You might say, that's enough. He's probably going to get fired if he keeps making all these changes. He does one more that, to me, is, a, is one of the strangest highlights of the whole Bible. He destroys a bronze snake that Moses made. Some pastors will get fired for moving the piano. And yet... Hezekiah comes in and takes a bronze snake that Moses has made, like 
Moses, the Moses, Moses made the snake 500 years ago. The snake had survived 500 years with a nomadic people, and Hezekiah destroyed it. And he destroyed it because people had started to worship the snake. People had actually given the snake a name. We named cars in our day and time. They had named this bronze snake. That's how bad it had gotten among God's people. So Hezekiah did not ask the priest to do a 10-week series of sermons on why not to worship the bronze snake. He didn't start a hashtag, say no to the bronze snake or something like that. He just took a 500-year-old relic that Moses had made and he destroyed it. Problem solved. Hezekiah is a reformer. What do we learn from him? As we continue to discover and live out our role in God's story, what can we learn from the reformer, Hezekiah? We can learn, number one, number one, number, 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 number one, to reconsider in light of God's word the way that I or we have always done things. Reconsider in light of God's word the way that we or I have always done things. Verse 4 reminds us he removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. And now all Hezekiah has ever known are the high places, the sacred stones, the Asherah poles, the temple's been nailed shut, the priests work at the Taco Bell. We worship in the high places. We worship all kinds of gods. And yet the more he learns about God, as he draws closer to God, and his relationship with God gets deeper into him, he realizes that the way I've always done things, the way we've always done things, is not the way things should be done. This is not how God would have us to live. And so he takes action, at least in the little sphere where he has influence. What about you? Part of what I love about getting to hear Tammy's God story today is the way that she has taken action in the little bit of sphere where she has influence. What about you? As you maybe think about your own time with God, or your what's often called a devotional time, as you think about whether you live your life of faith in isolation or in community, as you think about whether your life is more centered on yourself or you're developing a servant's heart, part of the reason we do serve day, as you think about your professional life, whether you are trying to raise your stock or point people to God. As you think about your faith, is it something that's totally private or is it there to be shared and to benefit others? As you and I take stock of our lives and the way we've always done things, we start to draw closer to God, learn more about God, our relationship with God goes deeper, and we may realize that the way we've always done things is not necessarily the way things should be done. And so we take action in the sphere where we have influence. That's number one. Number two, act. Act when you realize God's gift has become God's replacement. Act when you realize that God's gift has become God's replacement. Numbers, chapter 21, verse 8. I'm a math major. Numbers is my favorite book of the Bible. Numbers chapter 21, verse 8. I can't get through a sermon without a pun. I apologize. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. 
So Numbers chapter 21, in the very early part of the Bible, God's people are rebelling against God. As a wake-up call, God sends some serpents among his people. The serpents scare them. The serpents bite them. Moses asks God, what should I do about this? And God gives him a strange answer. God tells Moses, make a snake, put it on a pole, and then anyone who's bitten by the serpents can look at the snake on the pole and be healed. That's what Moses does. He makes a snake out of bronze. He puts it on a pole. People look at the snake and they live. And now pay attention to how many health-based organizations have a snake and a pole in their logo. God miraculously healed the people. And the truth is God could heal people in whatever way he chooses. But in this instance, what he had the people do was look at a snake that's being lifted up on a pole as a reminder that God has power over all things, even these serpents, that God can heal any wound, that God can heal any person, that God can heal any life. God can heal the harm done by any serpent. And he can even heal the harm that comes from our own failures and our own rebellion against God. My point being, this bronze snake was a good thing. God told Moses to make it. And the people were so amazed at what God had done that they kept the bronze snake for centuries. Nomadic people kept something for centuries as a reminder that God had healed their ancestors as they looked up at this snake that was on the pole. But by the time we get to Hezekiah, we have a problem. Hezekiah, we have a problem. The bronze snake has a name. The bronze snake is now an object of worship. God's gift has become God's replacement. God's gifts are designed to turn our eyes to God. God's gifts are designed to remind us how good God is and how good God has been to each of us. God's gifts and God's goodness, they lead us to worship God. But that's not what the people are doing. They are worshiping God's gift. They are ascribing to the gift an importance that should only be reserved for the giver. And so I'm told this can still happen today. That we might ascribe to the gift an importance that should only be reserved for the giver. The African Christian Augustine referred to this as disordered loves. What he meant by that is that we don't always love the wrong things. Sometimes we do. But what our hearts really struggle to do is to love the right things in the right order. Our hearts constantly want to take God's gifts and make them God's replacement. And so we can start to find our worth and give our greatest efforts to a spouse to a significant other, to our kids, to our career, maybe to even a Christian ministry or a strategy for ministry or to a friendship or to a dream. And the truth is, those are all good things. They are all gifts from God. And they will crumble under the pressure if they become an object of worship. They will crumble under the pressure if they become the source of our value, the source of our identity, if we can never imagine saying no to them. Hezekiah acted dramatically when he realized God's gift had become God's replacement. You and I would be wise to do the same thing. 
That doesn't mean we have to destroy any 500-year-old relics. Maybe we do. I don't know. But when our hearts and our minds start to take God's gifts and make them God's replacement, we would be wise to follow Hezekiah and act swiftly. And that gets me to point number three, number three, number, number. Finally, point number, only three today. Number three, our relationship with God sustains us in the midst of change. Our relationship with God sustains us in the midst of change. Verses six and seven say that Hezekiah held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses and the Lord was with him. So Hezekiah realized that change, reform, growth, personal growth, growth as a community, reform as a community, change as a community, it's important work and it's hard work. And as hard work, it always forces us to a decision. Will I depend more deeply on myself or will I depend more deeply on God? Will we draw closer to the work of God? Will we walk more fully in his ways or will we convince ourselves that God and that God's ways are actually part of the problem? Hezekiah is not teaching us about willpower. Hezekiah is teaching us about relying on God's power and on God's presence, that God is with us, that God loves us, that God is changing us, changing us as people, changing us as a church family, and he's doing it from the inside out. And he's changing us for our good. He's changing us for the good of the world. We were made for something more. And God is molding us into that, even in the moments when it hurts. Hezekiah became so confident in God's love for him. Hezekiah became so confident that God would not abandon him that he took the bronze snake Moses had made and he shattered it, never to be spoken of again. About 700 years later, a religious leader approaches Jesus Christ at night. This religious leader wants to know more about Jesus. He's, he believes or is coming to believe that he's fully God and fully human. He's got questions, but he doesn't want all his religious buddies to know he's asking them. And so he approaches Jesus at night, and towards the end of that conversation, Jesus tells him this. John chapter 3, verse 14. This is Jesus speaking. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Right before one of the most famous verses of the Bible, Jesus reveals God has known what he's doing all along. You remember the snake, the snake in numbers? This was a very learned religious leader. He would have known this. Remember the snake in numbers, how odd it seemed to heal people that way? It was a preview. It was a foreshadowing that something greater was coming. Jesus predicts that he too is going to be lifted up on a pole. He too is going to be displayed for all to see. And he is doing it for our healing that you and I might look to Jesus in his crucifixion on the cross and be healed and receive the greatest gift of God, eternal life, abundant life on this earth 
everlasting life after this earth. Hezekiah destroyed the bronze snake because it should not be worshipped. But the bronze snake was replaced by someone even greater who should be worshipped. Look up to Jesus, held up on the pole that the Romans called a cross, and see that God miraculously heals people. God has power over all things. God can heal any wound. God can heal any person. God can heal any life. God can heal the harm done by any serpent. God can even heal the harm done by our own failures. God can even heal the harm done through our own rebellion against God. So as a conclusion, I would just ask you this question. Based on the example of Hezekiah, how can you better discover and live out your role in God's story? Based on the example of Hezekiah, how can you better discover and live out your role in God's story? I have loved throughout this series holding God's stories in our own day and time with God's stories in the Bible as we continue to see what God is doing in this world and has done throughout the history of this world, I think it gives us different eyes to see. And I think it calls us into being different people. What do we see in Hezekiah? We see him drawing close to God, finding his worth, finding his value in God. Jesus tells us to find our value, to find our worth as we look up at him, held up on the pole called a cross to receive from him eternal life. And then out of that, to evaluate how we've always done things. To be honest about where God's gift may have become God's replacement. And then with God's grace, by God's help, to act, to change, to grow, to reform. To reform. Not through our own power, but through the power of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit living in you. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever he's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, sometimes in the midst of our lives, it's hard to see what you're doing. It's hard to know where a situation is headed. It's hard to know where we're headed. And so we hold on with hope to conversations like Jesus had with that religious leader about the bronze snake on the pole, where we realize you know what you're doing. You are weaving threads we don't even think matter to become something grand. So Lord, I pray for each member of our church family, each person gathered with us here today, 
I pray you'll continue to work mightily in our lives. I pray you'll help us to evaluate how the things we do align or don't align with who you'd have us to be. And by your grace, with your help, I pray we take steps following Jesus in a new direction. Lord, we thank you for Tammy and for Drew and their courage to stand in front of us today, profess their faith in you. I pray that for those of us who are right at that starting line of faith, that their example might cause us to take the step over and to decide to follow Jesus. There's no magic way to do that. Just open up your heart to him and invite him to come in. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Well, we're going to worship here in a minute. We'd love to pray for you. If we can pray for anything in your life, let us know at davidsonprayer at lakeforest.org. And for those who are want and are able to give any kind of a financial gift or tithe, you can do that at lakeforest.org slash give. We love you guys. Let's worship together. <laughs>